0: This is Before the Light Goes Out, with Catherine Williams. Muriel Thierdory is a French psychoanalyst, writer, songwriter, filmmaker and film producer. Her first film, Sans Plomb, premiered at the Cabourg Film Festival in 2000. She has worked as a journalist for Elle magazine under the pseudonym Jean Chuzel, In 2000, she wrote the libretto Welcome to the Voice with her husband, Steve Naive. It was well received in the US and Time magazine wrote of its modernity and success. She presented a masterclass at Cannes Film Festival on the unconscious of TV characters. She has written books about philosophy and about Dior. When I asked her what she does, she says, "She gardens and cooks. but I understand there's a little bit more to it. Welcome, Muriel Teodori.
1: <laughs> it's incredible to hear something of your life like that and to say, "Oh, is it me, really?" <laughs> I work a lot, my gosh. <laughs> it's important you say I'm French, because I, I never find the possibility to speak with a real. English accent, as you can hear. So that's my accent.
0: We love you for your voice. So tell me, Muriel, how did you sleep last night?
1: Oh, (laughs) Oh, did I sleep on my bed? Definitely. And under the blankets? (laughs) Is it more in your question (laughs) than this? No, I slept... Uh, quite well because to begin we are in the countryside and it was uh, a little bit of, uh, there was a little bit of rain and so that helps. (laughs) It reminds me a movie um, of Rashomon, uh, a very good movie where you have seven times the the visions of uh, of a crime and people who were witnessing this crime. And uh, every... Everyone tells a complete different story of what they have seen on this crime. It's called Rashomon, uh, this movie. And um, all the time, all the time, it's raining because it's in the moment of the monsoon, you know. And so probably I've seen 10 times this movie, but just the three first <laughs> witness because it put me to sleep immediately because of the constant rain. Delicious. It's a movie of the years. I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 Japanese, you know, Rashomon. I absolutely propose this as pe- for people who can't sleep. It's a guarantee.
0: Oh, wow. Well, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Where are you sleeping tonight?
1: Still, we are in Trouville-sur-Mer, which is a little town uh, of, the, of Normandy. And uh, it makes a big difference between the way we sleep in Paris, because we are on the boulevard like that. And, ah, bing! You know, it's noise constantly. And here, uh, you just hear the, the rain, basically, because it's Normandy, and the, and the birds, because it's a garden. This, it, it's something strange with the sleep. They, you, you know I'm a shrink. So, of course, I can't speak about sleeping without this knowledge of the, of the psychoanalyst behind and the sleeping for everybody, I would say. Is a time of separation, whatever we do, you know. It's time of separation. And so this moment sometimes for me is a little problematic, you know. Sometimes I take um, Valerian, do you know this um, tisane? Yeah. It's called Valerian yeah. or Belladonna or stuff like that. It stops a little bit all the minds that you have, you know, all the ideas you have in your mind and you like a cow ruminating the grass, you know. So I took this yesterday because I wanted to try to sleep, and it's nice also because my son at the moment and Lisanna, they are in the house and they are very noisy. They do a lot of music and they listen to some terrible uh, series downstairs, and so I'm like the babies, you know, when you are in a car and the parents are driving. So you sleep immediately because uh, there's no danger, basically. You don't know that there's dangers because they are driving. But anyway, you sleep. That's how I slept yesterday. They probably went to bed till around three o'clock. And that guarantee that I was sleeping well. (laughs) So that's it. (laughs) What did I dream? I dreamt, I dreamt. It's impossible for me to speak about sleeping without, you know, because it's not dying sleeping, it's to have another activity, basically. I dreamt about... uh, uh, It was wonderful. I had wonderful dreams. That's what I can say.
0: (laughs) You can say they were wonderful, but you don't want the detail.
1: Yeah, yeah. I dreamt that um, Antoine has to go to a festival soon, and I dreamt that he was receiving a contract, and they were saying to him, oh, you're going to have €20,000, you know, for the gig. Which is probably twenty times more, twenty thousand times more than when it's gonna happen. and so we were all happy. We were saying, "Yeah, we go. We take the first class train, and we are going to change hotel." It's our way to, to deal with money, you know, to, uh, to spend it, <laughs> basically everything. So it was this, you know, we were doing this dream that there was a lot of thing, and after I dreamt also uh, something about to have beautiful hair. So it was not nice.
0: <laughs> I love that even, even in, in dreams, like the two ends of a lot of money at a festival and then beautiful hair, they have the same worth. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could spend £20,000 on beautiful hair.
1: Yeah. I bought recently uh, some uh, $30, $30 uh, wigs and I arrived to the birthday of Steve. You know, they were recording with Costello in, uh, in New York. And I, I, I arrived at the break with an incredible wig, you know, pink completely like this, you know, with a cake. And they were very exciting to see a new girl, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Babushka. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, this story, because I tell you these dreams. And as you may know, I don't know, are you interested in a psychoanalyst or not at all?
0: Absolutely.
1: Because um, as you know, what I told you is what we call the, the discourse manifest. It's called obviously, I think that I had dreamt of this beautiful hair and money. And when you make the analyze of the dream, it's absolutely not at all, not at all what I've done, what I've described, you know. And so there's, It's funny because if I was Jungian, if I was inspired by, you know, Jung, the psychoanalyst Jung, I would think, oh, maybe it's premonitoire, I don't know the world. It it tells the future and I'm going to have good hair at a beautiful festival with a lot of money. But no, (laughs) not at all. I'm Freudian. So my dreams, I know that they speak about the past and not about the future, you know. And so, no, sadly, it's not a, a sort of announcement that, that it's going to be like this. And, um, and I don't know you enough to tell you about what it's being <laughs> in reality.
0: <laughs> well, then maybe you could tell me where is the strangest place you've ever slept?
1: It, it can be not very, very uh, joyful. Can it be uh, the reality? Of what comes immediately to me? Of course. Okay, so uh, when I was a kid, when I was uh, five, I had um, a disease called consumption. If you want to cut this because it's, it's not fun, we will find another thing. But at the moment, I tell you what comes. Okay? Okay. So I had, I had a consumption. You know what is consumption? It's something, a sort of a flower who, who eats your lung, basically. The tuberculosis, it's called in French, you know, tuberculosis. And I've been sent in a, some, a place, I was five, you know, I w- I've been sent in a place called sanatorium, a sanatorium. It's a house, um, a, a sort of hospital in a mountain, where they try, I would say, more than 50 years ago, they try to to cure this disease. At this moment, it was a very mortal disease, you know. You didn't know if you would be safe. And around me, a lot of my little fellows of six, seven years, they didn't make it, you know. But there is a very, very big uh, danger if your temperature is more than... 37.3. 37.3. So I don't know degrees, but I don't know. Maybe you don't speak in degrees. You, you speak in degrees Fahrenheit or Celsius? Both. Okay. So I don't know what it is, in a, but it, its temperature begins very um, soon in a sanatorium. is as soon as you, your body says 37 plus 3. And the morning, because I was laughing in the night with my little friends, and we were six, and I was all excited, when they took my um, fever, uh, it was 37.3. So they sent me in a place called Le Lazaret. The Lazaret is uh, coming from Lazar, who was um, sent in a grot, in a cavern, uh, because they were thinking it was dead and he came back after you know a certain time so you are basically in a play, in a room completely alone you can't speak to anyone you can't see anyone but you are 6 years old and you have to be in this place where you feel that you have done something wrong with your fever you know but you don't know what is so wrong in your fever and you don't know when it's going to stop and when they're going to come and get you back because you are isolated and you have to try to sleep it's so uh, frightening in a certain way so that's how i learned the word um, a week because uh, i was crying a nurse came and said, what what happened and i say how long am i am going to stay here you know and they say une semaine a week
0: oh muriel
1: and i say and i say wow! but what is a week and they say seven sleep seven sleep you know so I was knowing how to count I was six and one two three and I say okay so I have to sleep quick because it's going to be very long seven sleep you know I didn't know it was seven nights I was thinking you sleep and you wake up it's one sleep (laughs) but no it was seven nights.
0: bless you my goodness
1: I did it (laughs) But that's the strangest place. Just coming like this to my conscious, because you ask me this, I should have prepared something more joyful. But: um,
0: No, don't say that. It was amazing. I never knew that, and six is so young.
1: Yeah. And you don't have any idea of the time, you know. You don't even know, uh, okay, seven sleep, it's going to be days. And it was days where you were supposed to stay like this, you know, in your bed and in this place alone. And you can't have anyone with you and uh, no visit of anyone. It was a strange moment. Immediately when you say, what is the strangest? Definitely this one, you know. But I would, pre- I would prefer to say, oh, it's this time where I slept with um, Ryan Gosling in a park. <laughs> but no, it's not this. It didn't happen.
0: Can you sleep anywhere?
1: Well, after such an experience, yes, I would say yes. I can sleep. Uh, you know, some people, they say you have to arrive, for instance, in a house or in an hotel one night and adapt. But me, I love more than anything to be in hotels. So sometimes, especially because I follow sometimes Steve Naive on tour, we just spend one night in a place, you know, in a hotel. So I'm not going to wait that I have adapt myself to be able to sleep. So no, I can sleep probably anywhere, except when it's really cold. I need to sleep with my socks and an écharpe because I can't, I would say I I can't sleep Anywhere, except when it's really cold. This is absolutely, uh, you know, I don't sleep like that. I'm uh, I'm shivering instead.
0: What about a heated blanket like we have in England? What is it? You plug it in. It goes on under your sheet. Really? And it heats your bed up for like an hour. So you get to sleep and then it switches off.
1: Wow, I need that. Oh, Oh God, did you find that in France?
0: I'm going to buy you one.
1: Yes! <laughs> Just speaking about that, suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm feeling all warm and, and reassured, basically. <laughs> it's funny, this story of sleep anywhere or, or sleeping, because, well, once again, it's a sort of stuff uh, of a shrink. Um, we have time or we don't have time? All the time in the world. OK, because, you know, um, the parents, most of the time, They want to um, tell a story to the kids when they go to sleep and all this kind of thing. My shrink, when uh, my son was born, he say, I need to explain to you something. It's not at all the kids who are afraid of going to sleep and the night and uh, no light. It's the parents. And so they need to tell a story to reassure themselves. They need to leave the door open so they are reassured that the kid is not so far. And it's all about separation, as I was telling you, you know. But it's not the kid. So he say, because you're going to have a uh, a baby, I give you a sort of advice. You put the baby as a roast beef on his bed. You give him a big kiss, and you say, "See you tomorrow." You turn the light, you close the door, and it's done. And Antoine, my son, he never ever had any ah, mama, mama, bad things, you know, because I didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't try to reassure myself by telling me a story before he sleeps. <laughs> it's funny, no? <laughs>
0: Put the baby like a roast beef.
1: I was shocked. (laughs) I was seeing my beautiful roast beef like this of 60 centimetres and was saying, okay, it seems we're going to try, Antoine. Good night. No light, no And it worked. He slept till he met a a boy at seven in his bedroom who was saying, I'm afraid you have to leave the light, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to make a pee-pee three times before you sleep. You know, all the ceremonial of the sleep, the ritual of the sleep, you know. And so after, he was a little less reassured. But till seven, perfect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So do you prefer sleeping alone or with someone?
1: I was so happy to sleep with someone. Well, basically, I've slept with, in my life, let's say, uh, six someone. It's not so many. (laughs) But (laughs) because I never slept with my parents, I was sharing the bedroom with my uh, brother till we were 12 because my family was very modest and we had the same bedroom. So it was with someone, but not exactly. But it was very nice, you know to sleep like that in the same bedroom. And we had the ceremonial with my brother Thierry. He was supposed to say good night. I was supposed to say good night. And he was supposed to say sleep well, sleep well, you two finished. If I was saying also you two, we were were supposed to do it all again. Because I... (laughs) (laughs) It was a ritual of the evening, you know. And it was supposed to be exactly like this because he was... A little obsessional. So anyway, after I slept with, um, let's say, sixth love of my life, and since uh, <laughs> probably almost thirty years, I sleep with Steve. We have a massive bed. That's genius. We have a bed with two meters by two meters. So it's absolutely like a sort of royal bed. Absolutely wonderful. He's on tour a lot, and sometimes I like to. To sleep like this alone and not to be afraid if I want to have a glass of water in the middle of the night. And so I'm afraid it's going to wake up yeah. or do something like this, you know. So both, I adore both. And eventually I would love to sleep with you.
0: <laughs> I am actually dumbstruck with joy. <laughs> I've been waiting for that for so long, <laughs>
1: So it's a coming out here on the air.
0: (laughs) Finally, we get to say it. (laughs) So my next question is spoon, cuddle or space?
1: They don't go together because if I say space, it's fucked for cuddle and spoon. So um, space. Yeah, I'm sorry. I love so much this feeling to be at the same time close to him and we read and... uh, And after, when it's time to sleep, I mean, for the moment of sleeping, because before, I love cuddles and spooning, but for the time of sleeping, really, no, it's space. He's in this side, I am in this side, we can swap the side, I don't care, you know, space, definitely, yeah.
0: Do you sleep through the night, and if not, what keeps you awake? What are the thoughts that
1: keep you awake? Once again, you know, it's something who has really to be with, uh, with the time because I was sleeping, I was sleeping basically quite late uh, from uh, one in the morning till eight. It was the system. And now it's very often one in the morning till four. <laughs> and uh, I wake up and suddenly I feel <gasps> there's a... There's a matter somewhere, I'm not sure what, you know, yeah. but that's where I should eventually sink twice and think now urgently at four in the morning. I try to uh, take a glass of water most of the time, try not to take a peel of something because uh, that would be terrible in the morning, you know, at four o'clock. If you take something, it's, uh, it's bad. But, you know, the anxiousness is, uh, there's a definition of the anxiousness, which is a sort of fear without any object, no image. You can't put really something. You don't say, it's because I'm afraid that tomorrow I would shoot a movie or I didn't finish a song for someone. Or maybe tomorrow there's a podcast with Catherine and I don't know what to say. You know, but (laughs) it's not this kind of thing because that would be easy. You would solve it in a certain way as much as you can. It's very unproductive, this moment, you know. It's an anxiousness. There's an author I adore, Marguerite Duras, she's called. She's a French author, absolutely. Uh, if you give me a blanket to sleep, I will offer you a book. Of Marguerite Duras. <laughs> That's a deal. It's a deal, yeah. <laughs> because she says the insomnia. Because this moment of the waking up at this moment, it could, it can be called insomnia, really, you know. And so this moment of insomnia, she says, it's a, it's a way to be a way in the most unproductive way you can have it's not productive because when you have this little moment of insomnia you're not going to say oh i'm going to do the windows or i'm going to cook something or i'm going to write most of the time it's useless awakeness you know i just do this cow ruminating like this you know and i have a trick to do that to to calm this i put uh, arte it's a channel arte in france very cultural like you would say french culture for the radio you know with a voice like that they say sweden has changed its system of social security and now uh, sweden has a new system of social help and stuff like that you know and so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put this and you sleep so it's perfect
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have a radio 4 in the uk There's a particular programme which is very academic called In Our Time with Melvin Bragg and it's always talking about historical figures or like really in-depth things and there's a few people really clever, way cleverer than me start talking and it's just the most soothing thing cuz you just give way to it you're like oh these are big things
1: exactly <laughs> you agree it's fine you're not going to be suddenly oh my god no I'm, I'm not okay you know and suddenly poof you sleep so i've organized something like this you know my tv if i put it like this at this moment turn itself down after an hour yeah most of the time after 20 minutes <laughs> I sleep. So it's fine.
0: <laughs> you cook yourself like roast beef for an hour. <laughs> and, then
1: <laughs> You're vegetarian. and
0: then the light goes up.
1: You're vegetarian? No. Man? No, ah, yeah. no, but because people say, oh, if you don't eat cheese and if you don't eat uh, um, meat or anything before you sleep, uh, you, you sleep the whole night like that because the salt wakes you up and also the energy of the liver... When you wake up at four, it's because the energy of the liver, the Chinese say, is waking up because he finishes work and he say, okay, I'm done, I'm done, it's okay. Now, what next? (laughs) You know, and you wake up.
0: I love your liver. It sounds like a party animal. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, at the moment, it's kind. Let's say, let's say it's gonna go on like that, please. Do you
0: write or work better? In the daytime or nighttime?
1: No, in the day. No, I'm a girl. Uh, I'm a girl of the day in, because it, I like to do just silly thing in the evening, basically, you know. My son is the opposite. He begins to wake up probably at 8 p.m., and he works till 5. You know, Steve loves to, to write music, not to play piano, but to write music in the night also. But I'm not like that, you know. They are real artists, maybe. But me, you know, I just write in a, in a day. Uh, I compose songs in a day by cooking at the same time you know so là on regardez le vent c'était un ouragan mm, and i try to taste the tomato sauce at the same time you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's very in the daytime and uh, i like the light also you know i'm crazy you know i have a sort of disease that's why i wanted to be shrink because i was imagining it would be better but it's not it's called melancholy. So there's a melancholia uh, dimension in me who needs the light, the sun, uh, the bright light. So I'm more inspired by this than the vampires around me. (laughs) They begin to work (laughs) when there's no... When there's a moon over Bourbon Street tonight. (laughs) I'm not like that.
0: (laughs) As I've got older, I really... Love mornings and where we live. Often, if I put the kettle on and I look out of the garden, there's deer in the garden. Yeah, me too. It, it just makes you feel like you live in a magical place. I appreciate as well, you know, when you're talking about cooking and gardening, mm. I love the practical sort of mundanity of chores that sort of set your creative mind. You're doing manual work or you're walking or you're physically doing tasks and that sets your mind free I but think. exactly
1: also because um, since the beginning you know i wrote quite a lot i wrote books and libretto and uh, but you said it but anyway i write a lot it's, i don't want to be so humble that i would not say that this you know is true It can be really because I take off the stinging nettles like that, you know, in the garden and I I prepare the hortensia and the thing. And I say, oh, yeah, I have something. So I come back to the kitchen because not like um, my adorable Virginia Woolf, who say uh, a room of its own, you know, you need a room to write. Me, all my life, I just I have just written on the kitchen table. Absolutely all my life, you know. I never had a, a, an office or a studio or a real place, you know, a, anywhere. I, uh, I'm very happy to have a paper or not sometimes my computer and I'm on the kitchen table and I can um, at the same time peel the asparagus <laughs> and take my pen and write. So it's, it's quite simple, you know. I, I don't have a very necessity, you know, to be in a in a sumptuous or even in a modest place, but just for me. I, I, I'm happy also when people are passing all around, you know. I can be happy. I'm not disturbed by humans. I love them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's really interesting because a lot of creatives feel they need a specific place yeah. or quiet yeah. or routine I was speaking to a, a writer a few weeks ago who was saying that she gets up at 5 or 4 or 5 and then writes through till about 9 or 10 and she likes to get up when everyone else is asleep just write in the quiet and it's in her writing room and it's all really specific yeah. times. And
1: But you remember we, we wrote a song together and uh, we, we were writing on a little piece of paper, uh, was so messy, absolutely, and me after, I was saying, this sentence, yes, this sentence, and it was beautiful. No?
0: But you get to see the... I, I do love that with a pen and paper, because you get to see the oui. the working out.
1: And the shape of your thought,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I love all of the songs that we've written together.
1: We don't need to talk about sleep <laughs> <laughs> about love it's so great this idea you have to, to speak about sleeping because it's a uh, well it's almost a half of our life basically
0: yes and everyone does it no matter what their profession is
1: yeah there's even a torture you know who have been invented but people were thinking it was because um it was you know it's a torture who uh, consists to uh, stop you to sleep It was Chinese, um, middle-aged. It's in a book, uh, a sort of thriller of China. Um, Very great book, but of course, I don't have the title here. But um, the torture consists to wake up people when you have the feeling they're going to go to sleep, you know. And people were thinking it's because they would feel very tired, but not at all. It's because if you do that you stop the possibility of dream because everybody dreams even if you don't remember if, if if they say no no me i don't dream at all yeah they are afraid to remember that they dream but they dream everybody you know so there's an activity necessary for the regenerations of the of the brain and it's precisely this moment where you go to paradoxal sleep and you dream and in fact, when you do this torture, it's not because you're tired. It's because you become crazy, because you don't have this sort of catharsis, this sort of possibility to express something of the unconscious through the dream. Whether you remember or not, we don't care. But the brain is refreshed by this activity. It's, it's like a disjoncteur. How do you say in English, the disjoncteur of the electricity, you know? When the, the electricity, stunk, does that suddenly. Oh, yeah, the fuse. Voila. Voila. And you put it back, it's called in front the disjoncteur, you know, the rejonction. Rejunct, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the brain needs to do that absolutely at least each other night, you know. If not, you become crazy and you begin to have hallucination. And this hallucination, this sort of mirage, are the same thing that you have in your dreams, but you don't remember. That's all. And this torture is around that. You imagine how clever they were to know that, to know that uh, if you don't have this activity, you, you become cuckoo.
0: <laughs> this has been so interesting talking to you and I always love talking to you and you know that. And now I'm going to be your little hot water bottle in winter. I'm going to sneak into your bed. <laughs> I've come to the last question. Yeah? Can you remember a lullaby or song that sent you to sleep as a child?
1: (laughs) At the opposite of a very, very tough song, I think at the same time, there's a song from a group called, you know, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Something like Sleep in the Fire. You don't know this song? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> with the fire so noisy opposite
0: did your parents sing to you
1: uh wow it's a big emotion <laughs> my dad was kind with me you know much more than my mother so i can't tell you it's my mother who was coming to uh and um and i was really uh when i came back from this uh sanatorium I had a big problem for sleeping, you know. I was now seven, and it was a year completely of loneliness and very, very uh, sad in a certain way, and afraid by death and all the (laughs) things. And my my mother uh, took me to see um, a movie called Blanche Neige, Snow White who frightened me for the rest of my life, you know. Because there was this big, mechant mother <laughs> knocking the school of a dead one and giving her a, a sort of uh, apple. So I was uh, terrified in the night. And so one night, I, I, re- I was really crying. And my dad uh, came, and he sang, he sang me a song. It's... Uh, oh, bois joli, il y a des violettes... De lobépine et de l'églantier. J'ai lié ma botte avec un brin de paille. J'ai lié ma botte avec un brin d'osier. And you repeat and you repeat this thing. And something happened to me when my dad was about to die. And the fucking awful, disgusting doctor said that to him. He said to my dad, uh, well, I don't think that you will be here tomorrow morning, you know. Can you believe that someone can say that before, at the beginning of a night and say this, you know. And so my father was so terrified, as you imagine. So I came to him and I gave him a, a little sleep to a pill to sleep. And I told him two things. I told him the story of the Lethe. You know what is the Lethe? It is the flu, uh, the the river of the sleeping, a sort of river. If you drink it a little bit, you forget everything of your trouble. It's called L E T H A. It's a Greek word to say "oubli," forget, forgetting. You lose all the remember the. Souvenir, you say, the memories, the memories that stop you to sleep. So I say, I give you a little bit of a drink of a latte. And I sang to him till he was sleeping. Oh, bois joli, il y a des violettes. uh, 60 years after or 50 years after. And he went to sleep and it was done. So, um, yeah, this song is very dear to me. Oh, my. Well, it's not very joyful. (laughs) Oh, it's, be- <laughs> it's because I'm melancholy, I always laugh a lot.
0: <laughs> that was beautiful, and what, a, what an amazing and gorgeous full circle. Yep. You know, the gift he gave you of the lullaby to give it back at that time.
1: Yeah. I felt it like this. I felt this song comes back to me strangely at this moment, you know, and it's not the most beautiful song or something, but I'm sure that you know this voice that you repeat, and it's the same thing, the same words. Oh, Bois y a des and I was hearing my voice really like a voice of a, of a girl, of a little girl of six years, and he went to sleep.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. You are a fountain of joy and melancholy <laughs> yeah. and interest. And I'm so happy to have you on the podcast.
1: And I'm so proud to do something like that with you, you know, because, uh, because it's a privilege. It's really kind to welcome me like this. I'm very, very honoured and very touched that you invite me. invited me.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Muriel Teodori.
1: Thank you, Catherine Williams, with a beautiful voice.